0: I'm Austin. I'm Mike. We are the test drivers.
1: And we put tech through its paces.
0: It might not be tech timber yet, but lie is in full swing.
1: No, oh, I hate I hate Teculai. It sounds like <laughs> it sounds like an illness.
0: Oh, I've been afflicted by a strong case of Teculai. Teculai.
1: Oh, Techulai. There is. I mean, we are... It is super weird how much is going on right now. Uh, this is... I mean, we had this last year. It was really busy summer. But it was because no one could really have their summer, right? So I think a lot of companies mm-hmm. were just continuing to move on for more. And it's happening again. So the Z Flip event is official for August 11th. Or at least oh, yeah. we're calling it the Z Flip event. It is just the Samsung unpacked event um it's it, there it is folding it's get ready to unfold galaxy unpacked august eleventh twenty twenty one so that's coming here in a couple of weeks um we've got some details that came out from Samsung, but I think it's actually best to talk about this in the order at which Samsung would like you to do things which is to just pre-order the phone now
0: <laughs> no 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 not pre-order.
1: Pre-order your pre-order. You reserve yeah, the right to pre-order. Clear on this.
0: Exactly. I don't get this so, I, I did this. What, what is this? I this did is, it. Uh,
1: of course you did because you're a fanboy. <laughs> I will take that and 100% agree. No,
0: so <laughs> basically the pre-order is really just putting your reservation in. Like it doesn't actually do anything. You're basically putting yourself on like the email list or whatever. But they have some additional benefits if you do that. Um so it's like an extra I think $100 or up to $100 on a trade in which um just floating it out there if you were to trade in a Z Flip that's a substantial amount off of a potential new Z Flip. Um, and they have like some other stuff like you get like 12 months of Samsung Care Plus and it's some kind of like special offer which is probably going to be like a free pair of headphones or something. It takes like 2 seconds to just put your email on the list and then if you get some free stuff or 100 bucks off. I mean what, what could possibly go wrong, Mike? Are you trying to tell me the Samsung is going to release a new folding phone and we're not going to be in love with it and talk about it for the next two years of the show? I mean, that's unlikely, I think at best.
1: There is just something super strange to me about pre pre ordering. I don't know; it's weird. <laughs> it's very strange. So, do you do you actually get anything guaranteed for this? No. Or are you just putting no, your it's... name on a list? Like you're not giving them any money, right? No, you literally put oh, your name
0: okay. and your email on the list, and then you go, hey, yes, I would like to potentially order one of the things that you're announcing in a couple of weeks, and that's it. Um, they ask you if you want to do a uh, a trade-in. They ask you what kind of phone you may trade in. Um, I just put my Z Flip in. Of course, I would never trade a Z Flip in. I've got to love them all unconditionally, but just to see what it would be— now, I mean, I, they've done this kind of stuff in the past. I don't think it's a huge surprise that they're going to do it again. I do like the idea of, I mean, by literally putting your email on a list and potentially getting an extra hundred bucks off,
1: uh, it seems reasonable. And also, Samsung have just gone ahead and com- like confirmed a bunch of stuff, which is so strange. I don't, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to try and understand completely how every company in the world works, but Samsung does love to do things a little bit differently. Um, Basically, they had a blog post which they put up uh, where their mobile president, TM Rowe, effectively just confirmed a bunch of stuff or basically <laughs> set out these are the things that we're going to be talking about. So, new foldables, right? So, we, I guess we're going to assume Z flip, Z fold. They will have enhanced durability mentioned a bunch of times in this blog post, durability, strong materials, durability the style will be more refined. We're going to see the first ever S Pen designed for foldable phones. And they confirmed there will be no Galaxy Note. And I quote, instead of unveiling a new Galaxy Note this time around, we will further broaden beloved Note features to more Samsung Galaxy devices. And they also touted collaborations with Google and Microsoft uh, will be spoken about. So this will probably be like Office and then maybe some stuff with Android. And maybe they're going to show off some of the Wear OS stuff as well, maybe, because it is expected that there will be watches at this event.
0: I'm very excited to see what they've got. Obviously, you know, just a new piece of Z Flip hardware. And let's not forget, the Fold does look like it's a fairly substantial sort of jump this year. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The thing that really jumps out to me, though, here is the enhanced durability. So as we all kind of know, the Z Flip and the Z Fold right now use that first generation of ultra thin glass, which is, Mm -hmm. I guess you can call it glass, but it's kind of like plastic with some glass sprinkled in. Like, it's certainly a little bit more durable than the plastic display of the first fold, but it's certainly not as good as literally any other kind of glass out there. And while I've tried to be careful with my Z Flip, I do have a couple of smaller little scratch marks in I would guess a lot of those are from something as simple as my fingernail, which you can absolutely, if you actually dig into, like, a Z Flip or Z Fold screen, it will leave a permanent mark, right? So having some kind of next generation of ultra-thin glass, I don't know if it's going to be amazing. I don't know if it's going to be a huge step forward. But any kind of steps that you can take in the right direction when it comes to durability on folding phones has got to be the number one priority for most people and just trusting that these things are going to survive. So, um, Mike, I... I may or may not have seen a handful of leaks mm-hmm. um, and gotten a little bit of information on what the new um, Z Flip, specifically as well as the Fold, but mostly on the Flip, might look like. Um, so the actual aesthetics of the design has been super leaked, right? I mean, we've seen gifts every possible... Yeah. Uh, there's nothing to hide. Um, mm-hmm. I like the green color. I'm just going to just float that out there. I'm going to definitely do the green one. Um, but we've got the larger display. But there are also some things I've heard that are a little bit... Not what I was expecting. So okay. on the plus side, it very much seems like the Z Flip is going to be cheaper this year. So everything I've heard puts it between the thousand and eleven hundred dollar price point, which is several hundred dollars three four hundred dollars cheaper than the first Z Flip, which is great. Yep. Right? It puts it to into hit that
1: flagship t- category rather than foldable category. You know, which I think yep. is where which is where the Z go. Flip should be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, and there are some other things, so it has some kind of water resistance. Um This so- is
1: bananas to me, by the way. I I like so Evan Blast was was uh, I think was tweeting about this and and uh, some others. There's some other specs. One of the images shows like the new devices with water splashing on them. And it's expected mm-hmm. it's gonna get an IPX8 rating. This is water, yeah. not dust. Right, but well, I don't really understand how you can be water resistant but not dust resistant. But maybe I just don't understand enough about how that stuff works. I would not have expected these devices to be water resistant at this point. It's important, and I'm pleased to hear it, but that is a big surprise to me.
0: I'll be curious to see how much they tout that. I, I think a Z Flip should be fine to get a little bit wet. I mean, to be fair, um, especially like during the summer. I know, like last year. I was out playing like near the pool and uh, I got a little water in my Z Flip. It was fine, right? Which I think most phones have been for a long time. But there's a lot of moving pieces in a Z Flip. And I don't think they're going to be for quite a while ready to be submerged. But getting splashed a little bit, I think should generally be fine.
1: Well, IPX8, if that's correct, the IPX8 rating is submerged deeper than a meter.
0: Oh, wait. Oh, I actually didn't realize that was for full submersion. Oh, Oh, actually I'm impressed then if that's really the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it makes sense. I just think about like, yeah, splashing is one thing, but submerging, there's so many like water ingress points yeah. on a folding device. That's impressive, that's really
1: true. Well, if it's true, right? Like these are the the rumors. If they've if they've managed to do that, I will you can call me impressed. I figured we were mm-hmm. years away from any kind of significant water resistance on a foldable device.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Some of the other things that I'm excited for, uh, that new, more, I guess, flat design. I think we talked about it in previous shows, but essentially that little lip that goes around seems like it's been shrunken down. It also seems like the Z Flip will get a 120 hertz display this year. Big thumbs up for me. That
1: sounds exciting.
0: It's good, right? I mean, I love the Z Flip. I love using the Z Flip, but... It certainly does not feel as fluid as the wide variety of high refresh rate, you know, Android. And soon, it sounds like, uh, to be iPhone flagships out there. But, but Mike, there are a couple of concerns that I do have. Okay. One of which would be battery. Seems like battery life is going to be about the same. And especially considering that you're going to a 120 hertz display. Oh. And not that it's not going to make a big difference, but the outer display is going to be significantly larger. Um... It's probably not going to be amazing. It's probably still going to be like that okay to average slightly worse than average realistically battery life. But the bigger concern I have is the camera solution. So take this with a grain of salt. From what I'm hearing, the Z Flip cameras are going to be similar, if not identical, on the Z Flip 3 as they are on the first and second models.
1: Right. That sucks. So I'll say, I don't know if this confirms or whatever, but Evan Blass is saying two 12-megapixel rear cameras is what we're going to mm-hmm. see on that. Uh, I don't, I mean, it's it's almost impossible to tell if that means it's the same camera or not, right? Because so much can go into this these days. Like, they, you could say they're the same megapixel, but they could be completely different sensors or whatever. Uh, if that is the case, that the cameras are mostly unchanged, that's going to be... A big negative, I think. Because the cameras are fine on the Z Flip, right? Because they were already old when they went into the phone. They weren't the current generation Mm -hmm. of um, S series phones. I think they were the previous, right?
0: Yep. It's roughly equivalent to what you get on the S10e. Um, But even then, I think it's actually slightly cut down. It doesn't have the the dual aperture. So uh, certainly a little bit on the older side. I mean, they still take good photos and good light. They're certainly not mm-hmm. terrible. From what I've heard, this is more of a cost-cutting measure. To get the Z Flip down to that $1,000 price point, or that roughly $1,000 price point, they've essentially tried to roll over some stuff from the first generation. And one of the things would be, now the camera's on the back, but also the front-facing camera. Because unlike the Z Fold, which is heavily rumored to get an actual disappearing camera, so it's the one where it kind of like... Uh, I don't know, is there a phrase for that? Like the camera that basically, you have a little bit of the screen that goes over it, but it's actually just like a handful of pixels that makes it kind of seem like it's an under-display camera, even though it's kind of only vaguely under-display. Huh. That's not going to come to the Z Flip, which isn't a huge surprise, since I'm sure the Fold is still going to be like, you know, a 18 billion dollars. 19
1: <laughs> Yes, <laughs> roughly $1 billion.
0: <laughs> so uh, look, uh, there are some slight concerns. I agree with you that if the camera really is exactly the same, and to be fair, if you look at the leaks, it certainly is a different like orientation. So it's got like, that kind of vertical stack as opposed to the horizontal mm-hmm. stack of the current Z Flip. Uh, it, not that it really means anything, but the lenses do look bigger. But again, from what I'm hearing, it is potentially the exact same setup. As last time, which, if that's the case, I'm not gonna say deal breaker. I'm not gonna say that. Disappointing would definitely be the word because it's falling behind. It really is starting yeah. to fall behind at this and, point.
1: And that's the reason it sucks is because you're spending a thousand, eleven hundred dollars on it, and you don't mm-hmm. want to get into a situation where, like, a five, six hundred dollar OnePlus phone is taking better photos, right? Like, you just, and I don't know yes. if that's going to be the case, right? But you don't to get into that so here's my question for you actually because you know we've got a good and a bad right 120 hertz display old cameras if it ends up being this way do you think that's the right balance Uh, i i don't know Uh, to me i don't totally understand
0: the argument if it's true right which again this is just Mm -hmm. based on kind of what i'm hearing that the older cameras are that much cheaper a 120 hertz display, look, I get that, right? Like, they're not only upgrading the glass, they're upgrading the panel. They make all this stuff anyway. I don't imagine that's going to be this massively expensive part compared to the previous generation, right? Obviously, screens that are folding are always expensive anyway. Going up 20 20 hertz shouldn't be a huge issue. Um, I don't... I never get the impression that camera sensors and modules are enormously expensive, especially considering that it's not like they're taking away cameras or anything. Uh, keeping an older generation can only save them so much money. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say one thing that is easy to overlook on folding phones, and the Z Flip really specifically, is the the depth of the phone. So, generally speaking, the the reason you see a, a camera bump on a phone is because the more Z height or the more depth you have gives you more room to fit larger sensors, different stabilization, bigger lenses, all that kind of stuff, which is beneficial to photography. However, while the Z Flip is fairly thick when it's folded, all that really matters is the thickness when it's unfolded, right? That's the kind of space that they have to play with behind the back of the screen yep. and the actual back of the of the phone. And the Z Flip has, I guess you could qualify as a camera bump, but it's about the smallest camera bump in the world. It's very, very thin. So I wouldn't be surprised if, even though the price may allow Samsung to slap the same camera system from like an S21 or something in, but they don't have that depth mm. and it might be very expensive for them to custom engineer a fully new camera system just for the Z Flip to fit. So if we do see the same or very similar cameras, that would be my thought on why they did it. Not because the hardware is expensive, but because re-engineering an entirely new system.
1: That would make more sense. Mm-hmm. Because as well, the, the images that we've seen seems to suggest there is zero bump. On the new Z flip, where the original z flips it's very tiny, but there is a little camera bump, and the new ones yeah. it looks like that panel is completely flush with just a tiny ring around the camera, which would be for protection mm-hmm,
0: yeah, so uh, look, I'm excited. I would hope that by our next show we'll have the full details, and maybe we'll have some Z flips in hand soon, I hope, but uh I- I'm most excited. I'm also excited to see what they do with the Fold, the watches, all this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I'm just ready because uh, my, my Z Flip's getting slow now. It hit the year mark and it's
1: starting to get slow, Mike.
0: Oh. It actually... It actually... I, I've, I've started restarting my phone every few days.
1: Oh, no. that's That's <laughs> sad. That's quite sad. I don't even
0: know what my problem is because I know a lot of times Android phones after a year or so start getting slow but I've had like intermittent issues where like I think like my Wi-Fi is turned off or something or something is really slow and just like a web page will just take like 20 seconds to load for no particular reason and it'll go away but I'm starting to have this it was like really very very rare before and now it's like an hour before we started recording it took me like 30 seconds to load up like one Verge article before while I was looking through the show notes I was just like uh uh-oh it knows it's being replaced. It's, it's starting to act up on me. So
1: This is this is the stuff that we learn, considering like you're the only person using this phone every day for over a long period of time. <laughs> Little did we know that over uh, enough open and closes, these phones start to lose Wi-Fi connection. Who would have guessed?
0: <laughs> yes, that is definitely <laughs> what is happening. It has been open and closed enough where it has forgotten how to attach to the internet every <laughs> once in a while. It's fine. This is C Flip 3 coming to solve all of our woes any minute now. Totally fine. I'm not sad Uh -uh. at all whatsoever.
1: This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Audible, the leading provider of spoken word entertainment. They have the largest selection of audiobooks around, featuring bestsellers, new releases and everything in between, as well as thousands of binge-worthy podcasts, all in one place. As an Audible member, you get one credit every month to spend on any title in their entire premium selection. And these are yours to keep forever in your Audible library, whether you're wanting to pick up that new novel everyone's talking about or finally tick off that bucket list title. And if you don't have anything you're looking for this month, those credits will roll over for up to a year so you can binge that next series whenever you get the time. As an Audible member, you also get access to their Plus Catalog. It's filled with thousands of hours of audio entertainment from guided meditation, ad-free podcasts, and a large selection of exclusive series. This is included in your membership for you to listen to whenever you like. You can download titles and listen offline at any time in the Audible app, so no matter what you're doing or where you are, you can always pick up right where you left off. I really love audiobooks because. I, I'm kind of like a not very focused reader. I get very distracted, like if I'm reading a book or I'm reading like an ebook or something. But with audiobooks, I can be doing whatever I want. I can be out like commuting, I can be doing some housework or whatever, and I can get the books listened to. You know, like we I, on one of my other podcasts, we listen to books every now and then. And I, you know, we talk about them as a kind of like a book club. And there's no way I'll be able to get through them without Audible. Like at the moment, we're going through a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And it's one of those books where like, the, it's quite dense for information and I know that I just wouldn't be able to keep the focus unless I was listening to it. So it's super awesome for me and that's why I love Audible. Whether you're looking for something to entertain you while working from home, for your next long car ride, or even for time spent at the gym, Audible's right there with thousands of titles to choose from. So go and check it out for yourself. And as a new member, you can try out Audible for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash test or text test drivers to 500 500 to get started. As audible.com slash test drivers or just text test drivers to 500 500, a thanks to Audible for their support of this show and Relay FM. You put something in our document before we recorded today that I would have liked to have seen my face when I came across it. I'm pretty (laughs) sure that my eyes just widened, right? It's kind of like, what? Because I was not expecting leaked Surface Duo photos revealing a new triple camera system. There's so much in this headline from The Verge that I kind of can't believe. One that there's a Surface Duo (laughs) 2. One, two, (laughs) that there's leaked images of it. And three, that it's now got a triple camera system. What's going on here, do you think? Talk about a glow up from like one (laughs) poor
0: little (laughs) front-facing camera to slap a triple camera monster on the back. Okay, cool. You want cameras? We got you cameras. All the cameras. It's all camera now. It's cool though. So if you've listened to the show for uh, an extended period of time, you'll know that we had a lot of real positive thoughts around the Surface Duo when it first came out. You know, it had such incredible hardware. It was really like an innovative device, but it sort of was one of those things where it's like, this will be great once it gets, you know, some software updates, et cetera, et cetera. Well, fast forward and it's gotten some, but it certainly has some, some ways to go and it's still selling for like a third the price it originally Was going to launch at. But the Surface Duo 2 seems like it is really aimed at delivering all of those things that we were sort of concerned about, most notably the cameras. So there's a triple camera setup on the back with an ultra wide, a standard, and a telephoto. And it also has, instead of that old non 5G processor, it's got a Snapdragon 888, 5G, NFC, pretty much all the things that we really had issues with with that original hardware seem like they've been rectified with this version 2. And I, I I agree with you because I was not expecting this at all. It's it's coming out soon. Supposedly, either September, maybe October, this thing will be
1: launching. I can't get my head around that. I can't get my head around that. I, this That's a, such a surprise to me. I was, I think a lot of us were just kind of assuming that was the end of that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, But I don't want it to be, right? Like, and I, n- n- neither of us do, like... The the mm-hmm. the Surface Duo has promise like as a device. Like the form facts are so interesting and what they've done, it was like really heavily praised. The hardware was incredibly heavily praised, but they were just missing yeah. out in a couple of areas. One was the camera, and two was the software experience. So if they've spent the last year or so refining those two areas, go for it. Because I mean it kind of looks like from this leak that it is effectively the same hardware as prior or at least yeah. the same overall industrial design no one's got a problem with that right like go for it like but fix those two key things and you could end up with, de- with a device that is appealing the thing with me was
0: it's tough it was tough in the beginning with the first surface duel to assume that that could ever be your full daily driver phone right and For me, it was entirely down to the camera because the camera, it was just a front-facing camera that you could flip around and take photos on the back, which, cool, great, love it, whatever. But, like, without having any kind of, quote-unquote, real camera solution, even, like, a single, like, standard camera on the back, yes, I know that this is going to mean that the Surface Duo looks chunky. And even though the hardware itself is not massively different, this thing looks like it's got a serious camera bump, which, of course, it does, right? I mean, you think that the Z Mm -hmm. Flip doesn't have a lot of Z height. I think the Surface Duo was something like, 5 or 6 millimeters thick on like you know each sort of half. So like there's no space whatsoever to put a camera in there. They have to do a big camera bump. But you know what? I will happily take a large camera bump if it means that my phone is now actually usable enough to be able to function as my true daily driver. The Surface Duo, you have to keep another phone on you. Like it just there was really no other option if you care remotely about the photo experience. And if they've done that, if they've actually given you, you know, 5G and all the stuff that you expect out of a modern flagship, and they've spent the last year really trying to refine what that custom Microsoft Android experience, which is still a weird phrase to say, looks like they could have at least a good shot at rectifying what were really the deal-breaking flaws of the first Surface
1: Duo. What do you think about the Snapdragon 888 in this device?
0: I have the exact same concerns as I have with the Z Flip in that, Modern flagship processors, like the 888, or, I mean, honestly, the last, you know, several, you know, high generations of of Snapdragon chips, they're designed to go in traditional slab phones, right? They're designed to, you know, put off, you know, two, three, four, five watts of of power, and that needs to be dissipated somehow. Uh, In the Z Flip, it's generally okay, but you certainly lose performance. Um, I I notice it more so in overheating, because essentially... Unlike a normal phone where you have the entire back of the phone to help dissipate heat, with something like the Z Flip, you only have basically the top half of the phone, right? So you're essentially losing what, half of or so of your potential cooling, which means that it'll get really warm sometimes, especially if you're mm-hmm. trying to charge. Sometimes when you're multitasking, it'll start to overheat. I think the same thing is possible with the Surface Duo because even though you have a lot more surface area because uh, only on one side is actually, you know, like the processor and motherboard and everything, but because it's so thin, there's not quite as much sort of cooling that you could put in there. I mean, you know, you look at a lot of like, you know, Samsung and OnePlus devices, and they're putting like vapor chambers and all this kind of stuff. There's simply no room for something like that in a device like the Surface Duo. However, because it has that larger surface area, I never really noticed a lot of issues even when you're multitasking with the original Surface Duo. So having a 888, which should be roughly the same kind of power as before, and having like 5G and everything like that, I would not be surprised if the very clever folks at Microsoft were able to engineer this in a way that will still be perfectly usable. And ultimately, I mean, really, it was kind of crazy that they had such outdated specs on that expensive phone last year anyway, So I would kind of be disappointed if it was anything other than the exact same flagship processor that you can get in every other phone in 2021 at this point.
1: Is it concerning that they never really seemed to improve the software experience for the original one?
0: Ah, man. So I'll be really honest. I have not spent a lot of time with the Surface Duo since that sort of initial couple months. Um, Part of it was actually because the USB-C port maybe slightly broke on our uh, review unit. Um, Mm -hmm. So that kind of put a damper on that. Um, But it seems near universal that uh, the software, a lot of people still had a lot of issues with the Mm -hmm. software, right? So I definitely owe it to myself and to the listeners to actually spend more time with it. So I I don't want to judge too harshly. But a lot of those initial issues, a lot of the fact that, you know, getting the next version available, Android, you know, and all this kind of stuff were so heavily delayed I'd like to think they're focusing on Surface Duo too, but going into this thing, even if they nail the hardware, I still think they have a lot to prove on the software side yep. to show that Microsoft, this is not just a little, you know, experiment, that this is not something that just kind of, you know, one-off device and it might last another year or something. But Android and specifically the Surface Duo has a real future and it's something they really want to heavily invest in. I don't know. I'd like to think that that's the case. I have not seen the evidence to really make me believe that, which is tough when you consider that this thing is not going to be a cheap device, right? The first one wasn't. The second one certainly won't be. So if you're spending this kind of money, you're getting what is really cool hardware They have to deliver on the software. And until they show that they can do that, uh, there's got to be huge sort of question marks over the device. I I don't think anyone can in good conscience recommend it unless Microsoft goes, okay, look, we've got Android 11. We, We... Made mistakes last year, but we're really trying to rectify that and then really show it by delivering those constant software updates and really kind of cleaning up a lot of the bugginess that really plagued that first Surface Duo.
1: I'm super pleased though. I mean, because I said at the time, like we were just concerned that they would honestly do a Microsoft thing and just like mm-hmm. bail out on it, right? There's so many times they've done this kind of stuff of hardware and we're kind of hoping that they would take a Surface approach to this, you know, like with the, with the surfaces, yeah. they've continued to iterate and have gotten them to be the point where they are competitive in the markets that they're in. Right, all of the Surface products, and the hope would be that they would apply that same thinking to the Duo. But Microsoft, you know, but if you look at Microsoft's previous phone efforts, they eventually give up or have given up on them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were really hoping that they wouldn't here because I genuinely think that they are onto something. But it just needs that extra work. And what they put out was a very 1.0 product. And the hope Mm -hmm. would be that now they're going to have a very 2.0 product, which will be, here's everything that you liked about the first one, but better.
0: I'm not massively surprised, I guess, the more I think about it, that the hardware is... It's not like a massive difference what they've done this time, right? I mean, from those leaked photos... They threw a much larger camera bump on it, maybe a couple of different colors, and called it a day. I'm not surprised they were able to figure well, what out. What
1: we don't know is what's on the other side. True. Right. True. Like what have they changed the screen? I don't know if they need to. Like making the screen bigger on the device, if that makes sense, like less bezels, would be nice, but maybe maybe not necessary for it. I don't know, but I've all of the all of these images are just of the back. Mm-hmm
0: supposedly i was reading some people said that the screens are slightly larger but i haven't gotten any kind of real hard numbers on that honestly i I, if they don't touch anything on the inside i'm fine if they really just sort of give us these new cameras which i mean i assume with a camera bump like that they're at least gonna be fairly decent and work on some of the software stuff they've got a potential winner here but They've also got a very long uphill battle to climb. When you've got these fire sale first generation devices, you know, four, five, $600, uh, that's not necessarily the strongest point to launch into the market. Of like, oh, here we got our generation two because everyone loved it, right? Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Right? So the Nothing Ear One has been fully unveiled now. Uh, they've got that's on their website at nothing.tech. So we have the final design of nothing's first product, which is their in-ear headphones, their earbuds. What do you think of the design? You know, it's less
0: weird than I thought it would It's less aggressive than
1: their concept images, that's for sure.
0: Exactly. The concept image, if you've never seen it, was a purely transparent earbud, right? I mean, you could see everything, which looks kind of cool, but also very kind of 1.0, very kind of 80s, very, eh, a little unfinished, I guess I might I might say. The actual true ear ones look, I think, a lot more similar to a traditional earbud. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of that is due to the fact that you actually have that little white ear tip, which yep. I think is ultimately pretty important to actually get any kind of decent seal. Obviously, these have not only active noise cancellation, but also like transparency mode. So like, I think it's kind of like par for the course of what you would expect. It's hard to speculate that much on these things without actually having listened to them. Like, I think we both watched the event, and it was an event, and they talked about things, and it was it was cool. But uh, they're, they're on paper; these look really solid, right? So, ninety nine dollars, ninety nine euros, ninety nine uh, pounds. Which, uh, just side note, I don't know if I've ever actually seen a product launch at the exact same price in it's all three currencies. Rare. Yeah, I like that though. <laughs> I don't think they're making money on these things. They're not much. To me, it seems like this is sort of like what they did with the original OnePlus, right? It was $299 for the OnePlus One if you could get one because it was super limited, but it was almost more of a marketing thing to kind of get in people's sort of heads. I I get that same sort of vibe here that, you know, this is the first pair of headphones, but at $100, that's super competitive, especially from a brand new brand. Um, It's got, I mean, they say like it's ultra light and it's got these like nice speakers and everything. I'm a little concerned about the size of the case. It does have cheat charging, which is great. I love the fact that they've got that for 99 bucks. I
1: think it looks nice, the case. I really like the design of the case.
0: I agree. And they were talking about why, like, so the front of the case is basically transparent. So you can actually see your earbuds inside. And actually the earbuds, they're not identical. So one of them has like a little red dot on it. So you can tell like really clearly like which one's left and right. Um, my concern, though, is that based on what we saw in the uh, in the like the announcement video, that case looks a little bit on the chunky side to me. Mm-hmm. And my test is always: can it fit in that little pocket in your jeans, the little like coin pocket? <laughs> if it doesn't, <laughs> that's so gonna be a man. big. Uh, yeah, to me, I'm just like that's where my earbuds go. And if it doesn't fit, then I'm not gonna carry it. So I- I'm still looking forward to it. But ultimately, we didn't learn that much. I think they had really heavily teased and leaked this thing up until this point. And we have to consider that, look, okay, so this thing goes live in in August, right?
1: Yeah, they have what like a limited drop on July 31st. I think that's with StockX. I don't really understand how or what that (laughs) part is. Um, Yeah. But then they have a general availability in August kind of in everywhere they can. Yeah. And
0: it's like we have to kind of have somewhat low expectations just because this company didn't exist toward the end of this year, right? I mean, Carl yeah. was still working at OnePlus until what? November, December of last year. So like in this 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 has come together very, very quickly. And obviously yeah. this is their first sort of foray into the market. I'm very excited to get my hands on a pair, listen to them, try them out. I want to give them a, a a real shot, but also I think it's worth considering that They've been heavily leaning into all the tricks they've got in their playbook to try to drum a pipe just like they did when they launched OnePlus. And I think time will tell when we see what their next, second, third, fourth products are and how the company comes together. But it's hard not to root for an upstart. These guys clearly have a real track record of success and I like the the vibe that they got with the, like the teenage engineering look and feel. I think they and- look
1: great, man. I re- I'm really into it. Like the design, it does it for me. Honestly, I yeah. like it a lot.
0: Have you seen, <laughs> coincidentally enough, the OnePlus Buds Pro yet?
1: Yeah, not to be outdone, right? Thinkers to thinking <laughs> yeah, I here. Like-
0: it's a uh, very interesting uh, timing. Oh, look at these yeah. brand new buds uh, from our old company there. Don't, yeah. don't worry about it. Uh, they're more expensive and, and worse. Don't worry about it. Nothing is better, right? Right?
1: <laughs> I mean, what have they got? Like 150 bucks are available on September 1st. They look just like AirPods Pro with a little silver thing on the stem. And they have Dolby Atmos mm-hmm. and active noise cancellation. So you could, cool. in theory, use them for spatial audio.
0: Yeah, I'd be curious, though, if that works, how, I guess, the way that Atmos and a lot of the spatial audio works between devices, like, I know that Apple specifically, do they actually let Atmos work on, like, non, like, AirPod devices? Because I, I actually don't so. think I've seen that. I believe oh, you they? can, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. Um, Look, it's hard to get that excited about the Buds Pro. I mean, they look fine, but I look at that $150 price tag, and if this was like everyone loves to dunk on the airpods pro and like oh look we're a $100 cheaper mm-hmm. but that's not not even really the case airpods first of all airpods pros do not ch- uh, cost $250 basically anywhere if you even spend 5 seconds looking for them right i mean they're regularly on sale for 200 or even like 170 180 so uh, that's that's a thing but on the other side we're not in the same kind of zone that we were a year ago where you know Samsung were bringing out solid earbuds that were less than $200. And other than that, most other options, quite frankly, kind of sucked. Now we've got tons of options, right? Even the Beats Studio Buds are $150 and they have the same ANC. They have honestly really good pairing with both Android as well as iOS. You've got higher-end options like the Sony 1000X Mark IVs. You've got a lot of headphones that are kind of starting to land in this Hundred hundred and fifty dollar price point, including the nothings, that it's getting really crowded, right? I'm going to be curious to see if these buds pros actually are able to kind of stand out. But to me, just looking at it on the surface, the nothing they look way cooler, right? I, if they're actually decent, oh, without a doubt. So. I, I don't know. I, it does seem like, obviously, it's a huge market. Everyone's buying earbuds. And I think one of the things that's sort of easy to forget in some ways, how long does a pair of earbuds really last anyway, right? I mean, these are quickly approaching kind of disposable kind of status where, you know, you use it for a year, year and a half, you lose them, battery starts going, whatever. You toss them, like, whatever. I'm just going to go buy a new pair of earbuds. So it's like everyone's jumping onto fully wireless and at the same time, the longevity of a lot of these things is not particularly strong, which is great for these companies who get to sell you a pair of $100, 150 $200 earbuds every year or two. But I just think about it. as like, oof, these things are just going to be piling up. And I don't know. I, it makes me feel a little bit concerned as far as, like, how popular they've gotten and yet how disposable these things really are. I mean, you're never going to repair them. You're never going to repair. Do anything other than just toss them in the garbage as soon as mm-hmm. the battery dies, or you lost one earbud, or whatever. You know, it to me, it's a little bit of a doesn't give me a warm fuzzy.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awkward in that regard, especially because of the batteries. I mean, I keep I've held on to my AirPods for a couple of years, so it's like it's kind mm-hmm. of weird that I think for me uh, they're one of the things that I replaced the least, just because there aren't new new ones available, but. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to be the norm amongst people, to be honest.
0: I mean, as soon as those batteries, I mean, it doesn't even have to die, right? As soon as you're getting like what, an hour of battery life or whatever on earbuds, most people should be like, oh, th- these are dead. Or, oh, I see the new model. I just want to grab those. Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool. I at least like the fact that the prices are coming down. So, at least you're not, you know, burning $200 every year or two mm-hmm. on a new pair of earbuds. But the fact that these things really all seem to have such a short sort of shelf life, I, I don't know. Maybe there's an option. Maybe the next generation of AirPods, or whatever, will be like, oh, you can replace the battery. I know like some services have offered something kind of similar where you ship in your old AirPods or AirPods and they'll kind of like swap batteries. And like, I'd like to see more stuff like that. But I think for now, we're about to be overwhelmed with an avalanche of cheap plastic earbuds and they're all going to be fine. And we're going to, buy seven pairs and that'll be that
1: i want to take a quick aside okay i mean listeners of this show know that we are big fans of formula one around here oh uh, yeah and to my surprise uh <laughs> i had no idea it was happening f1 2021 is out the video game yeah yeah i kind of i don't know why but i just completely have missed it uh and it is now available uh and i picked it up for the playstation one of the reasons that I went, that I, because I've, I also played F1 2020. You know, I like it. It's a fair, enough, it's fine enough game. But for me, it had a kind of limited playability at a certain point. And also, year over year, these games aren't going to be massively mm-hmm. different to each other, right? Um, yep. There'll be updates or whatever, but they're not going to be hugely different. But one of the things that they've done this time is they've added in a new game mode called Breaking Point, which is a story mode. That they've created, where it's a limited part of the game. Like you play a selection of races, but there's like a story tying it all together, and you play in a you play f- fictional characters in a real team, which is kind of funny because you choose what team you want, and then that just means that those drivers just don't have seats for the two seasons <laughs> that you're in it, which is I don't know, it's just kind of funny. And th- but they try and maintain as much as they can from you start in 2020 and move into 2021. I played through the whole thing. It took me like a weekend, right? Uh, to play through oh, the wow, whole thing. Mean, that's fast. Okay. Yeah, I went ham on it one weekend. I was super into it. Um, I really like this. Uh, I think it is a very, very clever way to expand the game out um, because it does some stuff that's kind of interesting that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Like you don't race mm-hmm. every race of the season. You just yeah, you race yeah. chunks of races, which I liked. So, you know, you would basically be like, all right, you're going to start this lap. You've got to race five laps and you have an objective. And the objective isn't always win the race or whatever, right? It's just like, do this thing or do that thing or whatever. And I, I thought it was a really good way of adding a bit of variety into this game.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're not wasting time on like the practice sessions and this and that. Like, I like the more kind of like hardcore elements of the F1 games But also, a lot of times, I just want to sit around and blast around. And I I will say, um, look, they call this thing breaking point. But we all know that this is Drive to Survive. Like, uh, they're absolutely 100% trying to just ride on the coattails of, like, the drama and the team Mm -hmm. principles and your rival. And, like, uh, look, I haven't played through all of it. I've only played through maybe, like, an hour or two. I think I've done the first four races or so. Um, It's cool. Although, I will say, uh, I've been playing on the uh, Xbox Series X. And both of the first races, soon as we hit to the podium, maledict it crashed. It hard crashed my Xbox, which I was like, "Oh wow,
1: yikes!" I mean, I've been playing on PS Five. I've had no issues at all on PS Five.
0: Which is weird because I know that PS5 was having some problems with like ray tracing or something, and I know they actually had to do a patch to disable ray tracing temporarily while they tried to fix it. So
1: oh uh, it really? Doesn't... I never saw. I mean, I I don't remember seeing ray tracing. Maybe that's why <laughs> <laughs>
0: it was gone before you even.
1: Yeah, thought. I never even got the chance because I just downloaded it from the PlayStation Store or whatever. I didn't get it on day one, so.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, it seems like this is the first F1 game that's been run by Codemasters since they've been purchased by EA, which I got to yeah. say, opening an F1 game and seeing the EA Sports at the beginning is a it little bit weird. strange.
1: It was weird, uh, yeah.
0: But yeah, no, I've know i enjoyed what little time I've spent in F1 2021. Um, the sounds of the of the cars are better. Um, it does seem like it's a fairly complete package although they stripped out one of my, my favorite parts of previous games or all like the the old school cars I always loved being able to drive around on like the old McLarens and Ferraris and stuff and they took that out this year which I'm kind of sad about that was, oh, my friend, that was fun that to be, able... be
1: I have no doubt that that will be some DLC <laughs> that you can buy for some sweet microtransactions in the near t- in the oh, future that is the one thing I really <laughs> have noticed that's different from this game to previous ones they really want to sell me stuff. Just keep every, you know, every time I open <laughs> up the game, it's like, hey, what about this? You want to get this? It's like, no, I don't really, you need yeah.
0: Nico Rosberg as your future teammate
1: from the uh, historical
0: I, legends mode. I mean, I of course guess, you do.
1: I guess. Uh, I've also <laughs> uh, now I've completed the game. I'm doing something again that I haven't done with one of these games. but with the previous one, I just went into the career mode or whatever, and I mm. never really thought about just just doing a Grand Prix. It's like you can do the whole Grand Prix, the whole uh, 20-some courses or whatever. You can just do the whole thing if you want to. Um, So I've been playing around with that, um, which is much harder, which uh, (laughs) makes me want to... I want a question for you. Do you ever use the flashback feature when you play this game? And this is where, like, if you were to uh, crash into a wall... Um, instead of having to retire, you can do a little thing called flashback and you just go into a replay and you just say, yeah, I'll start from here, please.
0: Let's <laughs> just try that one more time. Um, I can neither confirm nor deny any such uh, blatant cheating of of, of breaking the, the rules of, of physics. Uh, I will say, uh, I jumped into breaking point on the challenging difficulty and I oh, boy. played in the past I played in the past on a wheel and pedals, which I do actually mm-hmm. don't have set up at the moment. So I'm now playing on Xbox controller. I jumped in on the challenging difficulty with all like the assists off and stuff. And I burnt out so fast when I realized that like the objectives are, they're difficult. You've got to like, yo, you got to, mm-hmm. you know, pass four cars in the next three laps. And like, I did that first race like five times. And I could like, you're supposed to come to like, Pass three or four cars, whatever. I could like pass one guy the whole time, so I had to turn the difficulty down. And when I did that, um, the flashbacks weren't really um, very, very common. But uh, it's it's hard, man. I, I, I miss I miss having the wheel. It actually makes it so much easier to get that fine control versus just like smashing on the stick left and right and trying to just really be be <laughs> gentle with your with your throttle. It's uh, yeah. But I would never flashback. Just for the record, that's cheating, and I would never do that unless Casper spins me out again.
1: Here's the thing, right? I've been thinking about this a lot, right? Because when I um when I went into play like the full Grand Prix, I was like, I want to see like how, you know, can I do this, right? Can I do a full Grand Prix so, in these in these conditions, me as Lando racing for McLaren? Of course. How far course. can I get him, right? And first couple of races, I did really well. I actually got a podium in my second. Actually, won the entire race, Ooh. which is awesome. Uh, then we went to Monaco. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I had to. I, I, I crashed out so many times. Like I would just restart the race. Like, all right, come on. Like I, I, I couldn't even complete a lap. I was like, surely I, I just keep trying this and maybe I can get it. I ended up just retiring from from the race because I just couldn't. I couldn't finish it. I couldn't even do a lap without crashing the the car so bad. But then in later ones, I've basically just come down to, I want to enjoy this video game. Yep. You know? Yep. And this is a feature of the video game. I'm going to use the feature and just enjoy playing the game rather than getting frustrated about it. And the way that people play games, it's very personal to them, you know? And... I just, I wished I did, but I just don't have as much time in my life for gaming. So now when I do play, I actually want to see if I can actually enjoy the game. And so I will take advantage of features like Flashback if it means that I can actually complete a course or something, you know?
0: It's also, I think it's easy to forget. F1 is not an easy game to play, especially if you're playing on higher difficulties Mm -hmm. with like fewer, no assists. It's difficult to keep these things on the track and sort of planted. And look, I have played F1 many, many times and roughly about every time I play it, I spin out or I crash or I do something, right? It is really difficult to play this at a high level. So I'm, I'm with you. I would never admit, of course, to using flashbacks publicly in front of the test driver's audience, of course. I would never admit I that. I have no shame. Um, okay, well... I'm glad you don't because I'm going to hide mine as best I can.
1: This episode is brought to you by HPE Tech Talk, a podcast from the folks at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. I love finding new podcasts to listen to because it allows me to expand my mind, learn some new stuff, and I love jumping into a show that's got a bunch of information in it. Maybe there's been a bunch of episodes already, so I can go back and pick some topics that interest me and catch up. If you want to listen to something new too and pick up some great back catalog episodes, you should check out Tech Talk. It is a show that talks through HPE news, tech insights, and world-class innovations. I listened to an episode about Project Aurora, which is an initiative focusing on edge-to-cloud. This is all about making uh, software and services the most secure that they can be. This is something that these days seems to just be becoming ever-present. I feel like every couple of days I'm reading something in the news about some hack or some cyber security issue. And so looking at new ways to make things as secure as possible, it's just super interesting. You can expect to hear episodes on topics like the future of technology, data management, disruptive software ecosystems, and AI and how they all work together, how Walt Disney Studios is experimenting with AI and machine learning to help creators of a Filmmaking process, and how the CTO of Tottenham Hotspur State of the Art Stadium is using technology and connectivity to help keep players and fans safe amid COVID 19 restrictions. And the show will take you straight to the source, interviewing some impressive tech leaders like Erika Varus Doggett, the research scientist at Studio Lab, Sanjeev Kadwa, who's the CTO of Tottenham Hotspur FC, uh, and Emily Christensen, a master candidate in applied data science at USC. Check out Tech Talk wherever you get your podcasts. You can search for Tech Talk now or just click the link in the show notes. Uh, Thanks to HPE Tech Talk for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Valve, they went and done a thing, huh? They did a thing I was not expecting. (laughs) From out of nowhere, here's a handheld gaming PC for you. It's coming at the end of the year. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) This is one of those stories that, like, as... I'm finding out about it from like iMessages and stuff. I can't I couldn't really piece together what on earth was happening. Because as well, the name <laughs> was just so confusing to me because I just oh. keep hearing and seeing Stream Deck, the very yep. popular Elgato product. Stream Deck, Stream Deck. I don't know why Deck. I don't know why they needed to go with deck. I mean, I know Steam. Obviously, I get Steam. Uh I don't know why they decided Steam Deck, but that's the word that they decided. Um, I don't know about it. I, I'm not sold on the branding. Um, I've kind of gotten a little bit more used to it over the last
0: you know week or two since I've heard it and said it enough times. But yeah, I said Stream Deck about twice as often as I said Steam Deck the first few days as soon as this thing came out. I'm really curious, just sort of what's your top line feeling on it like is this something that you're excited about is this something you think is cool do you think this is just something that is kind of whatever like what's what was your sort of first reaction to seeing the steam deck
1: i think my first reaction was kind of like why mm. like who yeah. is this actually for you know like i think of me as in, in the games that i play and the way that i play them I couldn't imagine where this would fit in my life. Like yeah. Yeah. If I want to play handheld gaming, I have my iPhone, my iPad, my Nintendo Switch to do that. And then if I want to play things that are more serious, I can sit down and play on my PlayStation or on my gaming PC, right? And so mm-hmm. like it took me a bit to kind of like think who is this this for. And then I was kind of like okay, this could be for one of two types of people, people that don't don't have a gaming p c and don't want to go through all of the aggravation of putting that together because it is something that has always been tricky, and these days are just even more tricky because you cannot get parts right um, yeah, yeah, you know, and who maybe don't want to necessarily bring like an entire laptop into their life or whatever, <laughs> and also for people that are really into. PC gaming and don't want a Nintendo Switch, but like the idea of that experience, right? So maybe it's one of those two. So that was kind of where I was leading into it. My, also my initial, the biggest thing for me is looking at this, I'm not sure I could use this.
0: Oh, like ergonomic wise? Yeah. I, I th-
1: so this is for me the main reason why I have not pre ordered one of these is. I just don't know if like I need to hold one in my hands and play with it for a bit. Um, and yeah. Because ergonomics for me with gaming console, game consoles is a big thing. It's for controllers and the, the like. And I believe, I believe the Valve when they say that they spent a lot of time with this and they've tried to work it out and they, they think they've landed on a good um, uh, kind of balance of it all. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's a balance using the things that they want you to use. You know, they really want to use the touchpads, and I don't, and I'm not sold on that. I've never used one of, uh, like this, like the Valve controller or whatever. So I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm. I'm, I remain unconvinced about these touchpads as a as a great um, input method. So yeah, I don't know. I just I could imagine this thing just breaking my hands big time
0: uh yeah i mean obviously having not tried it i i agree i think it's a concern i'll say i do think it looks more comfortable than the switch which i have never really much
1: heavier though austin
0: yeah that's true that is true i i to me i've actually never enjoyed using the standard switch in handheld mode in Mm -hmm. fact that's actually the main Mm -hmm. reason why uh my main you know handheld gaming device is a switch Lite. i like the smaller size of it I like the lower weight, but also I like the more sturdy feel. Because for me, the regular Switch, I always get a little bit of creaking from the Joy Cons, Um, and maybe it's just because like my model is earlier or whatever. But like, it never feels quite as solid as I like, especially as I'm like kind of getting into a game. I just it always feels a little flimsy. Whereas the Switch Lite is you know a solid piece. Uh, The Steam Deck is big and it's heavy, but I do like the fact that it has real handles on the back. That is one thing that I think was absolutely the right call, even though it's not as easy to slide in your bag or anything like that. It seems like the right move to be able to get something which is ergonomically at least a little bit more reasonable. And yes, it is heavier. And yes, it is a little bit wider and bigger. And maybe I pick this thing up and it feels terrible. But those handles, I've tried a product. It was um, it was something by Hori. It was called the, the Split Pad Pro.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like for Monster Hunt or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, so essentially it's a pair of replacement Joy-Cons that are much larger and they have like grips, right? So it's relatively similar in size to the Steam Deck. And I'll say as soon as I put that on, even though the fit and finish wasn't quite right, it still felt a little cheapy, but it felt much more comfortable for me when it comes to putting on the Switch. So that's why I kind of have a little bit more sort of like benefit of the doubt for the, the size and the weight of the Steam Deck. Look, man, I'll just lay my cards on the table. I'm really excited for this thing, right? This actually does feel like it fits a good niche for me. I've tried mm-hmm. devices like the GPD Win, and it's cool to have like a little mini PC, but it's always been like, but the it's got a stupid keyboard and it's terrible. Or, oh, but it has kind of weird controls. or this thing lasts two hours and weighs massively. It's it's massively heavy, right? The Steam deck seems like it bypasses basically all of these limitations. The screen, I think, would probably be my only real concern. Um, So it's a 7-inch, by 800 panel. Uh, The resolution is fine. I'm not really worried about that. I mean, honestly, you're not going to want to try to play this thing at 1080p or above for most games, although you can dock it, and maybe we'll talk about that later. But uh, I'm more a little bit more concerned with the brightness of the display, the fact that it doesn't support any kind of variable refresh rate, which I think would have been a nice feature to have. Um, But... I could see myself really using the Steam Deck in a way that I don't want to carry around a laptop or something, right? Because a lot of times I don't sit down like you. I don't have, you know, hours to just sit around and, and play games as much as I want. So a lot of times I'm playing a quick game, you know, on my DS or something that I keep over by my bed or I'm going to hop into a, a quick batch of, I don't know, Pokemon or, or or Smash or whatever on a Switch. But a lot of games that I want to play are much more sort of on the Steam side or on the PC side But I don't want to have to pull out a whole laptop for or sit down. I don't really sit down at my gaming PC hardly ever. In fact, I don't even have a gaming PC at my house these days. Uh, So, um, the Steam Deck, in theory, could be a lot more convenient for me because I can actually just sit down anywhere I am, leave it in my backpack, pull it out, play a 15- 20-minute game of whatever I want, throw it back in my bag, and continue on with my day. And that has a lot of potential utility for me.
1: I want to know your thoughts on the specs of this thing.
0: It's good. Um, it's certainly better than the the GPD-WAN or the Aya Neo or a lot of these other devices that are, you know, the handheld little mini PCs. Mm-hmm. So unlike all of the other models on the uh, on the market right now, which just use off-the-shelf laptop chips with, you know, decent GPUs and some decent RAM. Uh, this is actually a custom chip. So it's uh, it's been done, you know, in collaboration with AMD, but essentially it is a cut-down version of what you get on the Xbox Series S and obviously, you know, Series X and PS5, but it's based on the exact same sort of fundamentals. So right. instead of having eight Zen 2 cores, you have four, which is still reasonable still powerful and unlike all of those other devices even like the current like AMD like Ryzen laptops it has the new RDNA 2.0 graphics. So unlike the the regular Vega graphics, which are old and kind of a little bit outdated, although still perfectly reasonable, having RDNA 2.0 is, I think, a major advantage in giving this not parity when it comes to things like having like ray tracing and all of the various features that you find on the console. So if you're a developer developing for a PS5 or an Xbox or whatever, generally speaking, you just turn the settings down and everything should work on the Steam Deck. Uh, now... It's not as powerful, obviously, and a lot of people have been comparing it to the Series S, but even then, it's less than half as much graphics performance as the Series S. But if you think about it another way, it is on paper about as powerful as the PS4 when it comes to raw, like teraflops. And in reality, it has a much newer GPU, which means that it is actually a decent chunk more powerful. So uh, there was some some controversy when uh, Valve did, I think it was an interview with like IGN or something, and they talked about how like the target was 30 FPS. Uh, they since clarified that that's more of the floor and that they've essentially tried every game on Steam or pretty much every game that they've tried on Steam has been playable on the Steam Deck, which is not a surprise because, I mean... This is equivalent to, I would say, a low-end gaming PC, right? Obviously, it's small. Obviously, it's portable. But it is in a completely different league performance-wise to something like the Switch or, I mean, even the, the Switch OLED at this point, which I think is very much a good thing. They've loaded this thing up with fast 16 gigs of memory. And th- there's a lot to sort of dig in here that makes me feel pretty confident that the Steam Deck will be a very usable console even two, three years down the line when you're throwing AAA games at it. It should still be pretty playable, in my opinion.
1: I mean, you are talking about the power, though, but that might be also why the battery life is said to be <laughs> between two to eight hours, which I I love mm. that, that gap, two to eight hours. <laughs> it's just such a massive range. And I expect yeah. most people playing most of the games that most people would want to play will probably be in a two to three hour mark. Because depends, will want, yeah, yeah. Of course, it depends. It totally depends. But you know, if if you're thinking like the most popular games will tend to be the the hungriest, I would expect for power. Yeah, I have two things on the on the specs. Okay. I wonder what you think about one. If you buy one of these now, you're probably not going to get it for a year, right? Yeah, I think they're Q2 of 2022. If you order one right now, I think it's into Q3, depending on the one that oh, you. Is it really? Yeah, depending oh, on the no. one that you order. Oh no. In a year what is what do you think for for the for the specs like in a year from now yeah could it start to feel slow when you get it? Ah uh, what do I you think, think it's so. going to be good?
0: Yeah, uh, well so obviously it's a portable console. So you have to lower your expectations, but you also have to consider that you're playing on a uh, basically slightly above 720p 60 Hertz display, right? So much lower resolution, honestly, much lower frame rate than a lot of gaming PCs and gaming laptops, right? So you've got a good amount of horsepower for a fairly small amount of pixels. Uh, the other thing though, I think is smart is that they really did base this on the current generation of consoles, the same kind of CPU cores, same kind of GPU, less of everything, lower clock speeds and everything but still all those very solid fundamentals that we are going to be using for gaming consoles and honestly a lot of gaming PCs for the next five, six, seven years. Now, I don't know if the Steam Deck will hold up well six or seven years from now. I think that might be a little bit of a stretch. Mm -hmm. But I do think that they've got all of the fundamentals in place that I can't imagine a better list of specs that they could have put on the Steam Deck with the possible exception of maybe having the slightly newer Zen 3 cores but it's not enough to make any significant difference. I feel good about the hardware decisions they made, especially the 16 gigs of RAM, which I think is more than the Series S and equivalent to what you get on both Series X and PS5. Not only is it super fast, but I think that's a really solid amount of memory. I feel good about that. Even if you're buying this thing a year from now, I don't think you're going to run into games that just won't run or are going to run at terrible frame rates. And honestly, if we're being realistic, this thing runs SteamOS out of the box which is probably going to run better after six months of people actually having these things and, you know, getting patches and updates and whatnot.
1: What about a docked experience?
0: So unlike the Switch, which comes with a dock, uh, this is something that is an optional thing, right? The Steam Deck comes with, uh, I think it's just like a carrying case, but it does have a USB-C port. And importantly, it is a full-fledged USB-C port. So if you want, you can buy the Steam Deck, the dock that uh, you can buy directly from Valve. And it has a bunch of stuff like it's got DisplayPort and HDMI and USB and Ethernet and all that kind of stuff. Or alternatively, you can plug in basically any USB-C dongle that you want and still get video out, which I Mm -hmm. personally appreciate because I feel like at this point, most of us have one of those in our backpacks anyway um with the dock you're getting obviously access to full mouse and keyboard which i think if you're trying to use this as a real pc which you can i mean this is certainly powerful enough to be a real pc and while it ships with steam os and you you know are in a linux environment you can dual boot or just fully switch this over to windows if you'd like so there's real potential for this to be an actual legitimate pc um and i think for that it'll be fine but I do think you have to somewhat temper your expectations. So the spec list looks phenomenal, right? It does 4K 120 or 8K 60, technically, over that USB-C port, but no games are going to play at that, right? It's going to be better than the Switch, which can run some docked games at like 480p, so it'll be a step above that. But the docked experience, I don't think, will be significantly different than the handheld one, specifically when it comes to the performance. I think you'll be able to play some lighter to moderate games at 1080p and like, sort of medium settings. Um, But I think a lot of games, especially the really graphically demanding ones, are probably still going to be in that roughly 720p sort of range if you want to get good frame rates, which is fine, right? And again, it's a major step forward from the Switch. But I do think when it comes to, like, the docked experience, you have to have slightly lower expectations. That being said, though, this is also just a little mini PC. So it has the performance technically to do everything you would want to do on a gaming PC, right? I mean, think about like a small, you know, like gaming laptop or something. Technically, there's no reason why you couldn't stream from the Steam Deck. You could plug in a Stream Deck to your Steam Deck if you wanted to. You could use this with a full web browser and uh, like I said, a copy of Windows if you want. There's not a lot that it can't do and it has the performance to do a lot of things fairly well. But I I do think you have to consider that it is still a portable console. And the docked experience will give you more inputs and more abilities. But the gaming side of things, it's not going to have any really more performance when it's plugged in. It's still going to give you that same level. You might want to bump resolution up, but uh, it's still a portable console at the end of the day.
1: I remain very intrigued Right. I'm intrigued to see what people like you do opening it up, trying to put more RAM in it and more memory in it. And I'm intrigued to see when Linus tries to put some version of Linux on it. Right. Like I am, in very, <laughs> I am very intrigued about this hardware. It doesn't really feel like it's a product for me and I'm cool with that. Right. Like I have enough. as I said yeah. at the top, I have enough things for handheld gaming and I have enough things for sit down gaming experiences. Um, but I, I am excited for what I th- the excitement that people have for this, right? Like, from mm-hmm. just a content perspective, I'm really intrigued to see how it's going to go. And I look forward to getting hands on it myself. I just don't think this is a product that necessarily fits into my life. I am genuinely really wondering what this market size is going to be for this. You know, obviously, they seem to be selling at or above their expectations because they don't have enough to fulfill them this year, right? They don't have enough to fulfill. But I mean, that could mean they sold 100 of them or it could mean they've sold 100,000 of them. Uh, I'm Mm going to be really intrigued to see what this is and if, honestly, Valve have finally managed to create a hardware line that they can make into a real business for them.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited about the idea that this is Valve doing, it. right? Uh, Very few companies can pull off delivering custom hardware like this and do it at such a, an affordable price. All of the other competitors in this space have to make money on their hardware, right? Mm-hmm. GPD doesn't make money on selling you games in Steam or games on Windows Store or anything like that. So that means that these devices have to be significantly more expensive. Mm-hmm. But the Steam Deck starts at $399. Now, yes, that's only with 64 gigs of storage, but it's got a micro SD card slot. They're very much leaning into the idea that you should play a lot of games on that And there also are higher-end options with full SSDs. Technically, you can actually install your own SSD. It's not necessarily recommended, so it probably won't be easy to do, but you could probably do it, and I'm certainly going to give that a try on mine. But it's one of those things where I feel like there's enough interest in the market when you look at a lot of these other companies like GPD and like AYA who have been cranking these things out the people want a little mini PC that's like a Switch, right? I I think that there's a pretty significant market there. And I think there's a much larger market for someone who's going to want to buy one at 400 bucks and day one play most, if not all, of their Steam library or just load a copy of Windows and play literally their entire Steam library and everything on the Epic Store and everything in Origin, everything on Game Pass, all that kind of stuff, all on one device. It seems super compelling to me and... I wasn't expecting it. It almost kind of took a couple of days for it to really sink in for me. But this is low-key one of my most hyped products I've seen all year. It really does kind of fill such a unique niche. And the fact that it's coming from Valve of all places means that the expectations that I have are incredibly high. I can't wait to get my hands on it.
1: Before we go, let me tell you about one more show here on Relay FM. Parallel. If you enjoy this podcast, there's a good chance you'll like Parallel. It's hosted by journalist and accessibility expert Shelley Brisbane. Parallel is a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles that you can listen to by going to relay.fm/parallel or search for Parallel wherever you get your podcasts.